Here goes the long pass with one second to go. The shot. Yes! The shot's gonna count! The shot by Tate George wins it! Trajan Langdon's going to take the length of the floor and try to get it off. He doesn't have a lot of time here. Pressure from Jones. Langdon trips, and UConn has done it. Three-point game, a three at a time, forced overtime again. Cade DeSiva, off for Knowles. Oh, off the back rim. Connecticut has won the Big East Championship. Hello, Husky fans, and welcome to another episode of the UConn Pod. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm here with Thomas Fritch. Uh few weeks now since the Dan Hurley hire has gone official for UConn. The dust has settled. We've got uh, some some happenings on the recruiting trail as well as filling out his staff. So a lot to break down as the Hurley era gets underway at UConn. Uh, Tom, first first and foremost, though, just, just great hire and great alignment for UConn. Big move being able to land him here. Yeah, I mean, essentially – he was the number one pick all along and he was a number one guy. Um, he's a Northeast guy through and through perfect match for UConn, especially kind of where UConn is right now. And Hurley made a big point about that, how he, he's not afraid of a rebuild. And um, I mean, he's seen those, uh, he's seen rebuilds at the last couple of jobs he's had with Wagner and URI. And in his press conference, Harley mentioned that this isn't as much of a rebuild as those two programs were because there are some things to work with and UConn has better resources and better brand than those two schools. But um, it kind of UConn has fallen back a little bit from where they need to be and where they're used to being. So, yeah, I think it's the, the perfect marriage between coach and program. And I think Harley's going to do a great job with UConn. And uh, I'm really excited for the future. Yeah, it's just it's just one of those things that like makes so much sense. You you assume it's not going to happen because yeah, Hurley yeah. has basically uh, almost the perfect background for somebody who you'd want to be taking over at UConn, kind of in a vacuum, and so much so that um, you know fans and members of the media were able to pick up on that possibility and that fit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, someone who coached at a high level, building a program, a high school program in New Jersey. To, to having success at Wagner, to really, you know, national success at URI, could not, you know, really map out better preparation for the UConn job than that. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's really clear. I think he's going to do a good job recruiting the, the entire Northeast, big time uh, in New Jersey, New York City. And, um, you know, we'll dive into it a little bit later, but with the assistance that he's hired so far, Looks like he's in in good shape to build uh, a really compelling roster, I think. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, I mean, with what we have already, we have a strong core. Uh, if this team comes back, I mean, you have Jalen Adams, um, who could come back for his senior year. And, I mean, Altari Gilbert, if he comes back healthy enough, those two guys are former five-star play, five-star recruits, and we've seen what Jalen Adams can do. Um, and then on top of that, I mean, Sid Wilson is going to be, I think it sounds like he's going to be a really good player. He was, uh, there were some reports in, during pra- from practice last year where he was looking like one of the better players on the team. And then Christian Vital. I mean, Christian Vital, um, 
he's just a hard worker. And I mean, he's, he's a streaky shooter, but kind of sometimes when he gets hot, he can just light it up from three. Um, so those four guys, I think that's a tremendous core group of players to have uh, for this team next year. And then obviously you also have some of the freshmen who are coming back, like Josh Carlton and Tyler Polly. They showed some flashes last year. And um, I think um, one thing we never really saw under Kevin Ollie was player development. Um, and so I think that's one thing that hopefully we can see under Danny Hurley. Um, so we can kind of guarantee or hope to see that these freshmen who come in and show flashes that they'll become more consistent uh, going forward. And so with those four core players of Adams, Vital, uh, Gilbert, and Wilson, and then you kind of you can mold around them and you can see hopefully that Hurley would be able to build up the players like Carlton and Polly, um, those two in particular. And I think you're right. I think there's going to be definitely a good team to work with for Hurley next year and maybe it's entirely possible. I mean, I can it's I can see Hurley having a better year with the same team next year than what Ali did this year. Yep, and I I think there's also a possibility we can go ahead and say you know there there's a possibility that the team could make the NCAA tournament next year. Um, you have Jalen Adams, Christian Vital, like you said, uh, good group of talent. The talent is there to be an NCAA tournament team, and one of the upsides that we know. Uh, exists is that this team, these players could use better coaching, could use better applications of their skills in in the team environment. So um, I think there is a possibility of a huge bump uh, here in year one. And uh, we see a pretty good season just from having a, a more disciplined team and, um, I had, I had a chance to see Hurley uh, at, across the A-10 tournament in Washington, D.C., and one of the things I was really uh, able to notice about his team was they were extremely calm. They played relatively mistake-free basketball. They did not go crazy if they fell behind by a lot. They just kept playing their game, kept looking for their shots, playing smart, methodical offense. And that's something we haven't seen at UConn in a really long time. You know, I think even some of the good teams we've had in the past five to seven years, even even those teams, I think, have been not stellar in their offensive strategy. So uh, I think that's something that's really enticing to have seen about his team. Mm -hmm. And uh, he'll know how to put a team together in with the constraints that he has kind of from a recruiting perspective, I think, uh, which, which will be huge. Yeah, and I think another point for, for uh, a potential NCAA tournament team next year is that the American conference is kind of going to take a step back and it's kind of wide open next year. I think I saw some, uh, some mentions how UCF is now the front runner for the American conference next year because Taco Fall is coming back. And if, I mean, if, Central Florida is going to be the number one team in the American as of right now, then I think it's a guarantee that it's going to be wide open and anyone can grab that number one spot. Um, so yeah, Danny Hurley has, it's, it's kind of exciting the prospect that while at the end of this season, it was kind of being you as a UConn fan, you were just kind of wondering what the future was going to hold. It was kind of not, the future wasn't bright at all, but now with Danny Hurley, there's hope and excitement again. And, I think we UConn can certainly make some noise next year, win eighteen to twenty games, and who knows, make a run in the uh, conference tournament too. 
Absolutely. And so um, in the weeks since the hire was made, we found out about some assistant coaching hires as well. So Tom Moore, former longtime Jim Calhoun assistant, former head coach at Quinnipiac, uh, and uh, someone who was on Dan Hurley's staff while at URI is coming back to UConn. So he's on the staff. Uh, very obviously will bring a ton of experience to that bench and uh, of course very deep New England ties and uh, great knowledge of course of what goes on at UConn and and what and what you need to do over there and then the next one was Kimani Young who I, I think is also a really good hire someone from Minnesota he was on Richard Patino's staff there Longtime New York City grassroots uh, program director. So someone with very, very strong New York City, Northeast kind of tri-state area ties. And so I think the the thing that's really clear about uh, the, the biggest takeaway, I think, from who these assistant coaches are is where we're going to be recruiting most heavily. And that's New England and the Northeast. Seems like a good strategy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one thing I love about Tom Moore, um, aside from his New England connections, is that it's kind of like bridges the past to bridges the UConn past to the UConn present. So um, we can kind of fall back on maybe getting some former players in here, which is always enticing to recruits and current players. Um, but yeah, aside from that, I mean, you got Tom Moore with the New England recruiting connections and then Kamani Young with the New York recruiting connections. And Danny Hurley had emphasized during his opening press conference that he wanted to focus on New England in the, in the mid-Atlantic for uh, UConn recruiting. And that's a really great thing to hear because the Northeast is, is supremely talented. Yeah, and I mean, if you're doing all of those well, you should have everything you need. So yeah, uh, looks like a solid, solid starting recruiting strategy in place. Will be interesting to track that and see how it goes. Yeah, and um, it looks, it looks, yeah. With in terms of like the recruits that we have for the just for the 2019 class, I'm counting at least about like 12 or 13 kids who are in the top 100 for just within Connecticut. Uh, New Jersey, New York. I mean, even in Connecticut, there's three guys who are in the rivals top 150. Uh, and those actually were Danny Hurley's first three offers uh, as a head coach at UConn for the 2019 class. Um, you got Trey Mitchell, who's a power forward and center, Jaden Delaire, who's a small forward, and uh, Akak Akak, who's a power forward. Um, and they're all in Connecticut. So it's just it's it's imperative for Danny Hurley just to kind of get out there, offer these kids, and kind of put up a fence around Connecticut and make sure none of these top kids leave the state and that they just come play for UConn. Yeah, it would be get big to get one or uh, even a couple of those guys for sure. Uh, but that's that's 2019. Let's take one quick step back. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. The class of 2018 lost all three signees. Um, not terribly surprising, but it, it did happen. Um, we've been trying to kind of read the tea leaves, figure out what's happening. Uh, there are now three open scholarships on the mm -hmm. roster, correct? So, correct. Uh, if you had to guess, how would those roster spots get filled, or who are some who are some candidates to keep an eye on? Well, I think um, anybody who's hoping that. Uh, the guys who decommitted, any of them will recommit to UConn. Um, I, I don't think that's going to happen at all. 
uh, it seems like James Aquino has kind of moved on and he's looking at Georgetown and other schools. And then the other guys um, just seems like UConn's not involved anymore. And Danny Hurley wanted to go in a separate direction with those guys. Um, I think earlier tonight, we just saw there was this one uh, pit uh, decommit who had UConn in his top six, Bryce Golden. He's a six, nine power forward kind of looks like a stretch for kind of banger kind of guy. Um, UConn's in his top six, along with schools like Syracuse and Wichita State. Um, so I think what we're going to see is probably a big like Bryce Golden. It uh, doesn't mean it's going to be Bryce Golden, but I think we're going to probably try and get power forward or a center. Uh, and then I think we're going to need some guards, too. So I, I can see this class being filled by two guards and then a big because um, I, I, I really think the guard depth on this team is – not where it needs to be, especially with Altariq Gilbert's injury history. And you can't really rely on him to be healthy throughout the entire year next year. And if he goes down um, and we don't bring in another guard, then it's just going to be Jalen Adams and Christian Vital again. And there's no guarantee as of right now that Jalen Adams is going to be back with this team next year. So really we just need to stack up on guards because we need um, a, lot, a lot of guards for next year. And, and the years going forward. For sure. Any other names on your radar in terms of 2018 guys or possible transfers? Yeah. Um, so there's another guy who's down in Florida. Um, he's a combo guard. His name is Sorrell Smith. Um, it looks like UConn was in to visit him, and uh, Sorrell Smith might uh, – I think he's on an official visit to Maryland right now, but he's going to announce his top three. Um, sometime in the next week. Uh, so I guess we'll have to be on the watch for that. Another um, intriguing name that's kind of been uh, in the rumor mill right now is Jalen Lacou. Uh, he's a 2019 guard at the moment. Um, he's I think he's top 15 there. He's, he's, orig he's an original New York kid. I think he plays um, for Christ School in, uh, I think it's in North Carolina. But there's talks that maybe UConn's trying to get him to reclassify to 2018. Um, so I think actually a lot of schools are trying to get him to reclassify to 2018, and UConn's one of the ones focusing on him. And I think that's one of uh, Hurley's top targets for the class of 2018. So I, I think that's huge. If, if UConn can, if if UConn and Dan Hurley are right off the bat and convince a, a five-star kid to reclass early and then commit to UConn. I think we're going to be, I think we're in very good hands if, if for the future, if that's what happens. Yeah, that would be obviously a big, quick, awesome turnaround if that, yeah. if that would happen. And um, I actually had a chance when, and we're going to uh, run it in a little bit, but we, I had a chance to speak with Eric Bossy and he gave us a couple of names of some guys who are in and around the rivals top 150 a uh, couple of guys available still in the class of 2018. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit more later on, but we've talked a little bit about what next season could be. Mm -hmm. um, why don't we try and just get a little bit more into what are, what are you think are the short, and medium term expectations that, that Dan Hurley has year one, year three, that kind of thing. I think, <clears throat> I mean, while I would love to see uh, a return to the NCAA tournament next year, um, 
a lot depends on how this whole roster shakes out and what's going to happen. Um, but I think next year, what what I just need to see is that um, this past year with Kevin Ollie's team is just we saw team the team just quit. I mean, that was kind of evident in the fact that UConn had, what, like eight losses by 20 points or more. And it was just kind of like an, an awful, awful season in that regard. So one improvement I would like to see next year is just necess- not necessarily – they just need to be in the game throughout the entire season, be competitive in every single game throughout the entire season. It would be great to see them just kind of progressive, progressing towards a winning team in March and have a chance to get into the NCAA tournament, maybe by making a conference uh, tournament run or just having some solid wins in, throughout next season. Yeah, we, we've just had some really cruddy seasons to watch and endure and – uh, to have them just kind of lose their shine immediately, have to kind of drop interest in the season by the midway point has been pretty tiresome, I would say. Yeah. Uh, and then got to just start doing better in the conference. You know, uh, the the American, obviously not exactly where we want to be, but the the fact of the matter is you got to you got to be doing a lot better in the conference than they, than they have been in the past. And uh, it's got some solid teams. It's got some, some programs that are growing and some uh, teams doing interesting things. I think Memphis hiring Penny Hardaway, that's, that's an interesting move. Mm-hmm. Um, East, Carolina, East Carolina getting Joe Dooley. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good hire. And yeah. um, I think, I think you want to just, compete in your league because if you compete in your league, you're a good enough team to be a perennial top 25. Yeah. If say whatever you want about the American, but if you are a perennial top three AAC team, you'll be in the top 25, especially when you're UConn and you have the, the brand association. So um, I, I'd like to see just a, just a more consistent winner. Um, and for me, yeah, next year, it's just, let's see kind of like you're saying, just move it in the right direction. Yeah. Just just show us show us improvement, show us a well coached team or what something that's in the process of becoming a well coached team and that really uh that really would be plenty for me. Everything really for next season really depends upon the roster that is coming into the twenty eighteen season. And um I think Jalen Adams is a huge factor in all of this. I think Jalen Adams like can have a phenomenal season next year. And I, I think I think getting pushed by Danny Hurley and getting pushed by this new coaching staff. Hopefully he can make some improvements in his game. That'll just make him a better player next year. I know that um, having additional guard depth will help, will allow him not to have to play like 40 minutes a game. And and that'll probably help in improving his numbers as well. I think my expectations will slightly go up for next season um, because I think uh, with Jalen Adams and Dan, Dan Hurley, I think there's potential for this team to actually be uh, back in the NCAA tournament uh, for one more run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like, uh, you know, and I wouldn't begrudge Jalen Adams if he decided he wanted to get paid for being extremely good at basketball, one of the best in the world. So I wouldn't fault him for that necessarily. But I think you bring up a good point in that it is really clear to see the scenario where he significantly improves his draft stock. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people generically like to say when a junior's thinking about leaving, oh, stay a year, 
you'll have a better season and improve your stock. And that's a, you know, stock generic thing. But in this scenario where there is a coaching change and uh, he has the opportunity to return for his senior year alongside a talented roster with a, with a new coach who might be able to help a group of assembled talent reach that group of assembled talent reach new heights. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think it's pretty, I think it's clear to see the, the path to improvement. So yeah, if, if he stays, it could be a really interesting um, sneaky team, but, uh, and I think there, there also is the point that we have to bring up about the rest of the roster. So for all we know, there are still a few guys that are going to leave or thinking of leaving. I know there were rumors swirling uh, that, talk seems to have died down a little bit so yeah it seems as of right now that there's there there is no talk of any transfers from this team as of yet um granted the school year is still in session so you never really know what's going to happen until the school year gets out i mean summer could happen and a kid could announce that he wants to transfer during summer so uh but as of right now it sounds like this team that we have right now is i don't think there's going to be any defections that would be good. And I think Carlton, he really showed a lot as a freshman and someone who will be the leading candidate for big man minutes with, with very little competition going forward. So, um, and then, you know, we, I think we've seen, seen some solid stuff from the other guys on the roster too. So that's, that's promising. Uh, but definitely I think does remain to be seen because uh, still certainly anything can happen uh, they might not get along well with the coach, you know, across workouts in the first few months. Yeah. Um, yeah, really just anything can happen. But I do think, as we've kind of been saying, if 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 you've got Jalen Adams, Christian Vital, possibly Alterique Gilbert even, Sid Wilson, you can talk yourself into that team being being something kind of good. You know, Josh Carlton yeah. – those other guys, um, you you can talk yourself into that team being being pretty good or or at least pretty competitive in the American. Yes. Yeah. So for now, we'll hold on to that <laughs> until we have reason to to start going back to being really pessimistic about it. We'll we'll hold on to hope for now. Seems like the Dan Hurley era is off to a good start. We'll be chatting with Rivals national analyst Eric Bossy later to be. Uh, to break down the hire in a little bit more detail and discuss what UConn recruiting might look like. And we may have another guest as well. All right. We are very lucky to be joined here today by Eric Bossy. He's the Rivals National Basketball Analyst, uh, an expert in recruiting across the country. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. And uh, so, yeah, we're, we're hoping we could get some of your time today to just talk a little bit about uh, UConn's hiring of Dan Hurley. He's filled out um, some of his staff as well. Um, from from your perspective, watching this coaching search go down, um, you know, how do you feel like this went for UConn? Given alternatives, given who who was who else was competing with them in the coaching market? Yeah, no, I, I think it went well because at the end of the day, UConn got the guy that they wanted. I think that. For those, at least in college basketball circles, Danny Hurley to UConn has been something that's been getting talked about for months. I'm sure your people have been talking about it too. It's not like it was any kind of secret or anything like that. But 
what I don't think was expected was the tug of war that came along with it, with Pitt throwing a, a pretty high dollar offer around and then the, the thought of perhaps sticking at Rhode Island because he was really liking what was going on there and there being some uncertainty with what could be UConn could be facing from a NCAA investigations type standpoint. But it all got worked out, and I think they got the guy that was number one on their list, has been number one on their list for quite some time. And just based on what I know of Dan Hurley and watching him operate over the years from being a high school coach in New Jersey through Wagner and Rhode Island and now UConn, I think they got the right guy for the job too. Yeah, he's really built built a path um, almost in an ideal way to to end up at UConn. And um, yeah, kind of rare that that some guy who kind of fans and the media are, are always talking about as someone who could end up there uh, really actually does end up going there. Um, Definitely want to unpack a little bit. Uh, article came out earlier this week where you you mentioned that Hurley was um, kind of the best the best hire this offseason. So I wanted to dive a little bit further into that and maybe hear from you um, again. Unpack a little bit of what you said about his reputation in New Jersey and and what that might mean for UConn recruiting. Yeah, um, I think. Why, why I felt like, you know, there were a lot of great places that made a lot of great hires, you know, um, Memphis made a really interesting hire with Penny Hardaway. It's outside the box and it's certainly something that's generated a lot of excitement in Memphis. Um, Louisville went out and probably got the best available guy in terms of reputation and what he's proven he can do with Chris Mack from Xavier. But I feel like UConn really needed someone who could kind of build things from the ground up again. And that's something that I think we've seen Hurley do at Wagner in Rhode Island. So that's why I thought he was the best fit. And also just because he's a guy, he knows the region, he knows the landscape. He's going to walk in with a really good understanding of what needs to be done. And so that's why I felt like he was the best hire, especially when you're looking long-term for a program. And so, and so what is your sense of what his reputation is in the, in the New Jersey area, uh, you know, from his time there and, and time as a head coach and, um, you know, areas where he'll be particularly strong from his own background in recruiting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we need to expand it from just New Jersey and just say New Jersey, the mid Atlantic in New England, because that's really where he has done well. You know, he's, he's gotten guys from Philadelphia, you know, at UConn, Fats, I mean, at UConn, at URI, Fats Russell was a really good freshman point guard this year from Philadelphia. You know, he's gotten DC, one of their better guards, Jeff Doughton is a DC guy. You know, they're, Recruiting class, their best guy coming in, Jermaine Harris, was a D.C. guy. So I just think that Eastern Seaboard from, say, D.C. on up through New England is kind of going to be his place. And, you know, he made his bones, obviously, as a high school coach. And people certainly know his dad mm -hmm. as, you know, one of the greatest high school coaches of all time with his days at St. Anthony's in Jersey City. So, you know, Dan goes and builds a program at St. Benedict's. He goes and builds a program at Wagner. He's done the same at Rhode Island. So he knows he knows his sweet spot. I think he's going to stay in there. You know, he's got a class or a group of coaches that's going to be competent in New England. And, you know, I don't anticipate that you'll see them going too far out of that area. Now with UConn, he's got a little bit more of a national brand to, to use. So you can maybe uh, go a little bit further in things. But – you know, smart coaches identify a sweet spot. He knows his sweet spot, and I wouldn't expect him to go too far out of that. Yeah, and especially in the early going, you have to imagine he focuses more on that sweet spot than than um, 
going out and and trying to spread his his wings too hard when um you know he he kind of needs to just build something right now like you said what what kind of you know what what can you say from what you have seen about um the style that his teams play and um you know what he likes to do that might give us a, a clue for um how he'll go about trying to build his team at UConn you know I think he plays a, pr- a pretty modern style um I think you'll see a lot of three guard offense that everyone seems to to prefer these days I think he likes to have multiple ball handlers on the court so that you can kind of get it and go I mean yes I guess guys are technically designated as a point guard or a shooting guard or whatever but you know he's going to want to put as many guys he can make plays off the dribble as possible on the floor and I think he'd also like to for those guys to be able to be you know dangerous or at least respected as shooters to go along with that and I think he'd like a couple athletes on the inside who can really run play above the rim a little bit and maybe if they need to be a little bit undersized and they need to be undersized I don't think he's going to be scared by that as long as they've got some toughness and are willing to go track the ball so he uh he added two guys to his staff uh you know a couple guys with with interesting backgrounds and and um you know reputations on the recruiting trail um, can you tell us a little bit about from, from your stance, what, uh, Tom Moore brings to the table as a recruiter, as a, as a coach? Sure. Um, I mean, Tom Moore, I don't think he's a stranger to UConn fans. So of course, yeah. certainly as much as any assistant coach that you could go out and hire, he knows that job and he knows the landscape. So I think that's, I think that's really good. And he's also a guy, you know, Tom's been around the block a couple of times, so he's got a a wealth of experience to provide, not just on the recruiting trail, but, you know, also in game with adjustments and stuff like that. Cause there's not going to be a lot that he hasn't seen. And then, like I said, I don't know that he could find another assistant coach who would know much more about UConn and what works and what doesn't work there, unless he was able to get Jim Calhoun to come and be an assistant for him. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah, he's great. And then with, with Kamani, with Kamani Young, you know, you've got a guy that's, Known as a New York guy, he he was able to get guys to go out to Minnesota from New York. He's uh, worked his way up after starting in in the grassroots basketball ranks in in high school and, and summer ball coaching. So his contacts are deep there. So I think he's off to a great start. And and again, back to what we were talking about earlier with with knowing your sweet spot in the areas you want to re- recruit from, you see that. And I think uh, with Kamani especially, when UConn's really had it rocking. New York has been very good to them, whether it's Ben Gordon or Kemba Walker or whoever. And I think that uh, they haven't done quite as well in New York over the past four or five years, maybe. And I think they'd like to see a return back to New York being a place that could really provide them a lot of talent because they're very close and, you know, there's no shortage of talent in New York. So why not try and get back into that market? Looking a little bit more specifically at uh, at the recruiting year by year, um, the class of 2018, uh, as we knew it, is is no longer. So all three of James Aquino, Emmett Matthews, Lucas Kasunas um, have all decommitted, have all been released from their uh, national letters of intent. Um, was that particularly surprising to you or, I mean, you know, Akinyo kind of happened immediately, the others kind of trickled out, but was any of that surprising to you? And um, how do you think UConn goes about filling these roster openings? No, it's, it's not a surprise. I think it's just, uh, 
the way things are now, you know, if coaches are going to leave, we, they need to be willing to let kids out of letter of intents now, because it's just never a good way to start off your regime by holding some 17 or 18 year old kid who wasn't recruited by you's feet to the fire and saying, no, <laughs> you got to stay here. So the, the flip side of that is it puts you in a little bit of scramble mode. Now, what I think is always interesting to take a look at is what happens with the recruits where he came from. Uh, Brendan Adams, who's a, who's a Rivals 150 guy, is asked out of his letter of intent at um, Rhode Island. So he's a guy that I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe took a run at. Um, there was a kid who was actually committed to Rhode Island for a little while. It's one of the better available guards out there named Amir Harris from the D.C. area. Is definitely one I could see them taking a run at because he kind of fits their their style. And then, um, you know, there's a guy in New York, Frankie Polselli, kind of a 6'8 combo forward that's available, a, you know, fringe rivals 150 type of guy. I would imagine they'll take a run at him. So there's certainly some guys out there, but you're going to be in scramble mode. There's a good chance that you may have to reach on some guys or a little bit of a gamble, but that's what comes along with coming in as a new coach these days and trying to build things up. It's going to be a year or two before any new coach anywhere, much less Dan Hurley at UConn, can really put his imprint on a program and really start to build it with the kind of kids that they want just because – He's operating behind schedule on the recruiting front right now. Yep. Understandable that 2018 will definitely be a weird one and, and even 2019, right? Where Because you've, you've laid all the groundwork to, to this point where 2019 should be kind of um, reaping what you sow. But, um, you know, again, for Husky fans looking at this saying, okay, 2019 is also a blank slate. Um, they've, you know, they've got some offers out to the big Connecticut area, Connecticut guys, um, you know, who they need to, but what are reasonable expectations from a recruiting perspective um, for for 2019? Yeah, um, it's like you said, it, it's crazy to think about that, you know, here we are, it's early April, and these guys aren't graduating high school for, what, another 13, 14 months for the most part? And you would think to yourself, oh, okay, it's still plenty of time to get involved with these guys, but the way the recruiting cycle has sped up so much – a lot of these guys are way down the road in the recruiting process. So you're, you're trying to build things from the beginning. That's why maybe a guy like Kamani is, is a big, is a big ad. You know, I think we would probably be smart to take a look at who he was on at Minnesota, because I would imagine if he was recruiting a guy from the New York area at Minnesota, you can go ahead and count on him wanting to recruit them at UConn too. Um, we'll see how they finish out the staff. But like you say, there's, there's good guys in the area with the Trey Mitchells and the Cocker Cox of the world and Jaden Delares, who, you know, I think Delares got to be right up there. If not the top target, certainly one of the top two or three that will develop, you know, as an in-state kid right there, that's talented and, and really has a chance to come in and make an impact from day one, I think, because he's got that skilled kind of inside outside game that everyone wants out of a four man now. Um, you know, we'll see moving forward. Like we said, we're operating a little bit behind, but, the UConn name, it does have some, some cachet nationally and especially in the region. So it's a job where anybody competent should be able to recruit pretty well on a yearly basis. And I don't think it's unreasonable to think that in the first year they could get at least two or three rivals 150 type of guys. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point, right? These guys are all on the recruiting trail now. They just have a, a slightly better looking scholarship to offer to that to those kids. So um, you know, maybe there's a little bit of wiggle room they have to make uh, at least a small amount of noise in 2019. 
Um, and, and we don't need to dive into this too, too much, but it does sound like, I mean, the, the outlook in terms of recruiting ceiling, um, it seems like you feel pretty good about it, right? I mean, if they're able to get do well in New York, do well across Northeast and New England, which is kind of the, the wheelhouse of the staff um, to wit or, or to date, um, you know, seems like the only thing then limiting uh, UConn is is kind of its conference, right? And this the the downturn that it has made in recruiting, the the opponents being less compelling on a regional basis. What's your what's your take on kind of how how the, being in the American has affected UConn and um, how it impacts the ceiling of the program from a from a recruiting and and kind of the level of talent that they're able to bring in. That's a really interesting question because I think the objective person, you know, me, it's maybe a little bit different because I'm in the Midwest. I'm in Kansas City, right? I look at the American and I see, I see UConn, I see what Cincinnati and Memphis and Houston and all these places. And I think to myself, Hey, you know, that's in Wichita state. I think, you know, that's a pretty good conference. If you ask me, you know, I, I think it's a high major conference for the most part, but for kids and families who grew up with the old UConn and the Big East playing against Syracuse and, and, and you know, St. John's and Georgetown or whoever, it's a little bit different, you know, because they don't grow up thinking about, man, I can't wait to go play a game at Tulsa. You know, it's, it's a right. can't wait to, can't wait to go, you know, what, what to, to East Carolina, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a different deal. So I think a lot of it's going to be dependent upon, you know, Houston's got it rolling pretty good right now. Cincinnati's got it rolling pretty good. If uh, if Penny can land some big name guys at Memphis, you know, now now you're now you're talking again. You've you've got some excitement. You've got a conference that could theoretically put you know four or five teams in the NCAA tournament when things are going well. You know, maybe even six. You know, depending on things go. So I don't think it's too terribly bad of a conference, but it's just not what people grew up with, with UConn. And a few more years will kind of change that, especially if, if teams can start doing well in the AAC. And, you know, like I said, it, it's going to be a lot reliant upon those other schools performing to the, to the level those jobs can do because while kids may not dream of going up and playing games at Tulsa or Wichita or Dallas or whatever, if the SMUs and Wichita States and – Tulsa's or Memphis, like we said, of the world are, are doing some of the things they've done in recent years, then, you know, guys should want to go play those teams because it's not much difference than what's, what's going on. You know, I don't see any reason why the AAC can't eventually be seen on at least the same level that the Big East is right now. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you, you bring up a good point that the, the teams are actually pretty solid, but it, it is, it's more of this perception battle that the league has to fight of, relative lack of unfamiliarity, um, a lot of programs that are on the rise and we aren't sure how stable, um, you know, they are, or, um, you know, if you think about it longer term for me looking at it, we think, okay, Cincinnati's pretty good. Wichita state's in pretty good shape, but what if something happens? One of those teams loses their coach. What, you know, what happens next? Um, right. Right. And that's, that's a fair question because, you know, Syracuse loses Jim Beheim, you know, maybe they're not going to be the same, but they're still Syracuse. You know, Georgetown is always going to have a name. St. John's, even though they've been dreadful the last couple of years, that name's going to be there. It's people are familiar. Whereas, you know, how much of Wichita state being good is, is directly correlated to Greg Marshall being a great coach. 
And if he leaves for a big job, what does that do? How much of Houston being good right now is correlated to Kelvin Sampson being a good job? Those are all really good concerns, but there's, there's not a lot you can do about that right now. You just have to kind of sell the program and then, hey, look, we win national titles at UConn. We don't care what conference we're in. We're going we're gonna to go try and win a title. So I think that's, at the end of the day, the most important thing is tying people into UConn and what UConn was. But, you know, to your earlier point, I think where teams in the current Big East and the current AAC really struggle from is so much about college athletics and discussing high major, mid-major type stuff is driven by football. And in football, you've got those power five conferences, right? You've got the, the ACC, the SEC, the Big East, the Big Ten, Big 12, whatever. Um, you know, that's not the same in basketball. And I think that if you're in the AAC or you're in the Big East right now, I think you need to be looked at as a high major program. I know it's something that the coaches in all of those leagues really fight for because they've got budgets. They, for the most part, got facilities and you know, they've got players that they've shown they can do things. So, you know, it's, it's a matter of perception, but, you know, that's, that's, that's the job. That's why Dan Hurley is going to get paid millions of dollars is to try and break down that wall and, and make people think of UConn like they used to think of it. Yeah, d- definitely agree about that. I think, you know, the other thing is just with all that Power 5 money coming in, we're starting to see that lift from those schools that do have that money. Um, right. So I think if you look at the the schools that have really increased their stock in the past five years or so, you know, th- I think about Virginia Tech or um, Auburn uh, or even someone like Clemson, who has just risen. And it's kind of just a byproduct of they, they've got so much money. They're t- they, they can only spend so much on football. They decide to finally invest a little bit in that second most valuable sport. Um, so I think that's the part where if you're someone in the AAC, I think there's a worry that that, that gap continues to, that gap continues to, to increase. Is that something that you're seeing out there where the power five, you know, they're starting to get, you know, again, the Clemson's of the world, the South Carolina of the world can, can have nicer facilities, nicer arenas, better, better overall situations like that. Is that something that, that you're seeing out there? Um, maybe a little bit, but you know, Houston's getting ready to open up you know, massively redone facility. Um, you know, I've seen the practice facilities at Memphis. They play, they play in the FedEx forum. You know, it's an, it's an NBA arena. Um, being in Kansas and Kansas city, I know what Wichita state spends on their program and some of the plans they have in place, you know, like Greg Marshall wants for nothing. If he needs to fly private somewhere to go see a guy, you know, there's boosters lining up to give them those charter planes. So, can you ever keep up with those programs? That's no, going to be tough. Like you said, you know, Clemson, as much as they might not want to, eventually has to spend some money on their basketball program. And when your football program is playing for the national title seemingly every year right now, there's a lot of money to go around, right? So, you know, the economics are, are never going to be totally fair, but I don't think we're talking about like, you know, little sisters of the poor type situation here. You know, it's, uh, it's certainly better. And if we're comparing it just to the A-10, where Hurley was, it's it's a huge step up in class and facilities and availability of things. So, you know, all things being equal, I think he kind of likes where he's at and what he's got to work with now. Awesome. Well, it start, started as a UConn conversation. We, we scooted a little bit upward, but uh, 
Uh, Eric Bossy, thank you so much for your time. You want to let our audience know uh, where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your your work online? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, if you're looking for us on Rivals on the national site, the easiest way to get to us so you don't have to sit, sift through all the football is just go directly to basketballrecruiting.rivals.com. It's the easiest way to find us. And if you want to find me on Twitter, it's pretty easy. It's at eBossHoops. That's E-B-O-S-S-H-O-O-P-S at eboss hoops and you know we're pretty pretty easy going guy i do my best to interact with the fans as much as possible but you know come by the site swing by the message board shoot me a question on twitter i'll do my best and um you know like again i really appreciate you having me on and talking a little yukon a little aac and a little bit of everything in between yeah absolutely thank you so much for the time really appreciate it and yeah i can vouch for uh the fact that eric is uh definitely willing to answer a lot of questions that come his way and, and has been very generous with his time. So um, always willing to mix it up. Feel free to. Uh, and again, Eric, thank you so much and have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you. All right. So we're here with uh, Bill Koch from the Providence Journal, who has been covering the URI Rams across the Dan Hurley era. Uh, Bill, thank you so much for joining. Uh, my pleasure, guys. Thank you. Awesome. So uh, obviously the Huskies were able to make a, a pretty big move by hiring Hurley away from URI, uh, beating out Pitt to do so. Um, what kind of guy, first and foremost, what kind of guy is UConn getting as their new head coach? Uh, Blue-collar guy, a detail-oriented guy. Someone who grew up in a basketball family. Obviously his father, Bob Sr., is, is the Hall of Fame coach uh, from St. Anthony High School in New Jersey. Uh, his brother Bobby's head coach there at Arizona State right now. Um, a basketball family through and through, and somebody who you would think would restore UConn to where it should be in the college basketball world in very short order. Awesome. Well, I think, yeah, for UConn fans, that's definitely uh, a lot of different forms of music to their ears. Uh, what kind of players did he specifically, if at all, kind of gravitate towards um, if there's a specific style of guard he liked or, or big man or, or um, you know, what did he look for in his players? Uh, for the most part, he wanted two-way guys who give an honest effort at both ends of the floor. Uh, he wants someone who's dynamic on offense, who can probably put it on the ground a little bit and get the basket. And then on defense, he wants someone who's going to be physical, get up in you on the perimeter and work hard at that end and give you a pretty serious effort there. He always had good defensive teams at URI, particularly on the perimeter. Uh, he was playing three guards, um, generally a, a smallish sort of four-man, and, and then a five-man, whether he'd be undersized or not, uh, was pretty powerful around the basket, usually a rim protector. Somebody like Hassan Martin, you guys could look him up. Uh, he finished second all-time at URI in blocks. Um, you know, just a, a very physical presence in the paint. Uh, and at UConn, I, I get the feeling that you know, with UConn's profile, with its facilities, with its recent history, uh, his recruiting is only going to get better. Um, you know, I also look at the guys who he brought in, and he, and he paid very particular attention to culture and fit. He wanted guys who, you know, sort of could jam into roles on the roster. He was not going to put square pegs in round holes. Um, you know, and the other thing that he did very well was he would take guys who would sacrifice uh, for the collective. He wasn't going to recruit stars. He wasn't going to recruit rankings. He was going to recruit guys 
people he felt like fit well into his program and his culture. And I think, you know, that's probably something that made URI as a whole better than the sum of its parts just about any year. Now, something that's been kind of lacking at UConn like the last few years has just been player development. Uh, so can you kind of touch on what Dan Hurley has, some, some kind of success stories that he's brought into URI that kind of got better from freshman to senior? Well, his best player this year was Jared Terrell, uh, you know, who was a first-team All-A-10 player. Now, granted, he was a four-star recruit, uh, so he had a lot to work with from the beginning. But Jared was the type of guy who you know, got better, uh, shot his career high in percentages from the field, from the line, and from three as a senior. It's uh, about 10% better from three as a senior uh, compared to when he was a freshman. Um, you know, guys develop their bodies. You're talking about, you know, as I mentioned Hassan Martin earlier, gained about 25 pounds and turned himself into someone who could play in the paint. Uh, this year's center, Andre Berry, was a guy who lost about 60 pounds. Uh, you know, someone who played sparingly for his first two years as a junior college transfer and then started, uh, you know, every game this season as senior and was a reliable contributor, um, you know, was top five in the A-10 in field goal percentage. Um, you know, so you're going to look at, at Hurley. He's going to put in this program, and he's going to force guys to adhere to it. Uh, otherwise, he's going to run them off. Uh, he is a very no-nonsense type of guy, uh, especially with a roster that he inherits. Now, he's going to address that in recruiting uh, because, quite frankly, he just doesn't want the headaches of dealing with you know, maybe an elite talent if he's a fringe character. Uh, he would rather take a guy who would fit more seamlessly into his program and, and give him everything and just have things sort of run smoothly. Uh, you know, so I think you're, you're going to see a lot more emphasis on fit on the roster, and you're going to see a lot more emphasis on culture on that roster. Uh, you know, and it, it will make a difference in short order there. Great, great. That's awesome. And um, one thing I was, I was just wondering as you were talking, uh, you had mentioned how if, if they don't buy in, he'd run them off. You didn't really see that often at URI, though. As a, if I recall, there, there weren't many transfers out of that program during the Hurley era. Is that correct? Out of the players who he recruited, um, guys were not leaving. They were not transferring. Um, you know, his initial roster of players who he did not recruit, uh, there were probably a handful who didn't return off that first team. Okay. Uh, the 2012-13 team was, was pretty it was pretty thin. Uh, the three of us might have been able to suit up for them <laughs> toward the end of the bench if they had had a couple injuries. Um, you know, but those were not his guys. And, and you could tell, you know, once he brought his guys in, he made it a big point of pride to say, my guys don't transfer. I create an atmosphere here uh, and, and a feeling here that people don't want to leave. And, and that's, you know, that's one of those things that I think he addresses in recruiting just by being honest. Uh, you know, he said to me, I don't know how many times, that D.C. Matthews, who was one of his cornerstone pieces at URI, got a little different recruiting pitch than, say, Nicola Kelly, who was a, a bench piece, uh, a sort of stretch format who could make threes and defend a little bit. Um, with Dan, there, there's no real frills about him. It, it's what you see is what you get. And, you know, he's going to come across as, as very honest and transparent uh, you know, to the players, to the media, and to the folks who follow the program. Thanks. You, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but can you can you speak a little bit more to the style of play that, that Hurley likes to play with his team? Um, you know, you kind of mentioned three guards. You mentioned a little bit about, um, you know, what he does with his bigs. Can you share a little bit more about 
um, kind of how it all comes together and what what kind of his keys to victory are as, as he sees it? Well, it starts in the defensive end with him. Uh, a guy who likes to play half court, uh, who likes to run teams off the three-point line, um, you know, who likes to make it uncomfortable for you, uh, particularly on the wings in terms of you know, trying to pass the ball around the perimeter. Uh, shut off driving lanes and, and help off your man and, and prevent people from getting to the rim. Uh, you know, offensively, um, you know, generally wants uh, a point guard, a shooting guard, and, and then a little bit larger guy on the wing, a six-five, six-six-ish, you know, type of guard, small forward. Um, you know, and then he, he talked for years at URI about trying to be able to recruit a stretch for a guy who could spread the floor. Uh, you get the sense that he wants to play uh, one in and four out. He wants to keep the lane open for his guards to attack the rim. Uh, you know, he sort of looks at, at Golden State uh, or someone like Houston, maybe not as many three-pointers. Uh, you know, but those two teams in the NBA, in terms of spacing, uh, you know, in terms of having the guards dictate play and having the bigs just be physical underneath and, and maybe clean up the mess on the offensive class. Um, but those are the, the kinds of things that you will see from him very early on, and, and those those strengths will only come out more and more once he's able to upgrade the talent there at UConn. Very nice. Um, I think this is the last question from us. Um, in terms of, of building that roster, getting things started on the recruiting front, um, do you know of any guys currently on the URI roster who may be candidates to transfer over to UConn? See, the thing that is going to stop that from happening is uh, URI just hired David Cox, who was Dan's associate head coach for the last four years. I really couldn't see Dan just sort of pillaging his old roster and, and taking players from his old associate head coach. Uh, their recruiting class, three members of them, Jermaine Harris, Tyrese Martin, uh, and the third player, um, boy, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> uh, there, there were three three players in this recruiting class. Oh, and Dana Tate, who's a, a forward on Massachusetts, have all reiterated their commitments to URI. Uh, Brendan Adams asked out of his letter of intent. He could be something, who, someone who Dan goes after. Uh, I don't know what sort of conditions are going to be imposed in terms of his release. He's a, a 6'3 guard out of Baltimore, whose brother Jalen uh, just finished up a, a great career at St. Bonaventure. Um, but in terms of current players on the roster, the key guys like Jeff Doughton and Cyril Langevin and Fats Russell, they've all committed to staying with URI. Uh, so I think it's probably going to be some kind of fresh effort there at UConn. Uh, you know, you'd probably look for a couple transfers coming in early, you know, whether they be grad transfers or, or JUCO guys. You know, just sort of give them some numbers. And I would think they're going to attack the 2019 and 2020 classes uh, pretty hard on the recruiting trail. I think that's where you might see you know, the sort of bedrock foundation pieces that, that bring UConn forward. Um, you know, one thing to look for, though, is, you know, and I've, I've spoken with Dan you know, since he took the job there. Uh, he does not believe that that roster lacks talent. Um, you know, maybe not enough to win the AAC or, or be in the NCAA tournament next year. Uh, you know, but he's looking at guys like Jalen Adams and, and thinking, you know, I'm not necessarily sure that we've seen the best of Jalen Adams or, or that the previous staff got the most out of Jalen Adams. And, sure. you know, there's, there's certainly a few other guys there uh, who were highly regarded players on the recruiting trail. Uh, obviously, Altariq Gilbert has been sidetracked with injury. Uh, we haven't seen the best out of him yet. 
Um, you know, so he's looking at that roster, and I know he thinks that he has a lot more in his hands now than he did when he took over at URI, and, and I'm sure that, you know, in that respect, uh, he's thinking he'll probably win a few more games than you know, maybe he did his first season in Kingston next year. Uh, but I think the year that, that you'll look for them to take a real jump will be 2019-20 and then 2020-21 once he gets you know, most of his own guys in there. Awesome. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Bill, I got one more question for you. Can you talk about the impact that Tom Moore had in his last this past year at um, URI and kind of talk about the working relationship that Dan Hurley and Tom Moore have since that's going to continue now at UConn? Well, I know Dan and Tom have known each other for a long time. Uh, you know, Tom's a very valuable assistant uh, from the standpoint that you know, he's at UConn for a long time. Uh, he's done a lot of winning, whether it be you know, conference titles, national championships. Um, you know, Tom was also a head coach for 10 years at Quinnipiac. So, you know, in terms of game planning or, or any sort of in-game adjustments, uh, you know, he's been in that seat on the far right of the bench, uh, you know, close to the scorer's table. Uh, or far left of the bench, close to the scorer's table. And he's the type of guy who you're able to caucus with in those media timeouts and say, okay, Tom, what are you seeing here? Uh, you know, what sort of adjustments should we make? Um, you know, or you played against this style of team, you know, three years ago. Uh, you know, how did you game plan against them? Uh, so in that respect, you know, Tom Moore is very valuable to them. I would also look further down the staff. I know they finalized a couple other hires today. Eric Jankowski is the director of basketball operations at UConn. He was a walk-on under Dan at URI, a very sharp guy, uh, very hard worker, committed. Uh, and Trip Doherty, who's going to be the director of, of video there, uh, you know, someone who spent one year at URI, he was on Harvard staff before that under Tommy Amaker, another guy similar to Jankowski, very smart, hardworking, um, you know, sort of the basis of any staff that will just allow the assistants to either recruit or work in practice or, you know, help game planning. Um, you know, so I, th I think you're going to see those types of hires, um, you know, whether it be Tom Moore, um, you know, I know Dan's also brought in Kamani Young from Minnesota. He's a big-time recruiter. Um, you know, he is already starting to build that sort of foundation uh, on his staff, and, and the players will follow from there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for your time and for the insight. Uh, once again, that was Bill Koch from the Providence Journal. Uh, Bill, you want to tell people where they can find you on Twitter? Sure, uh, at Bill Koch, K-O-C-H 25 on Twitter uh, or at ProvidenceJournal.com. Awesome. Well, Bill, I know you are uh, currently covering the Red Sox at, right after wrapping up URI. So uh, thank you so much for uh, finding some time for us and uh, best of luck with everything going forward. Pleasure is mine, guys. Thank you. The Huskies rounded out their staff by uh, making an announcement on Monday that they added Kenya Hunter, formerly of the coaching staff at the University of Nebraska, where he was uh, working for the last five seasons. Before that, he had been at Georgetown, Xavier, and Duquesne, uh, the uh, last of which he was a, is where he played uh, at the Division I level. So it uh, seems like another pretty good hire and um, someone who's going to be working with the big men. What it sounds like, especially from his coaching history at Georgetown, he had worked with Roy Hibbert, 
and Greg uh, Monroe and Otto Porter. So he has that experience working with those guys, not only coaching up Big Ben, but turning them into NBA talent. Um, so I think that's really important. I think we can look at the core of big men that we have right now. I mean, we saw flashes last year of how good that front court could be, especially with Josh Carlton, uh, him being a freshman. Um, he has tools to work with for, for any big coach. Um, so really, by, by junior or senior year, he can be a monster, I think. Um, and I think pairing him with uh, Kenya Hunter, that's huge. For sure. And I think another part that's notable about his resume is that um, he was at those schools before that. Um, I mean, I guess you could even include Nebraska, but um, he was on teams that were performing really well. Uh, so those Georgetown teams were good. Um, he was on the uh, Xavier teams that were coached by Sean Miller. Um, so he's been a part of some pretty good teams, including uh, five NCAA tournament berths at Georgetown. So I think that's that's another very desirable trait. And yeah, working with big men, definitely an area where the Huskies have not been very strong over the past couple of years um, and, and where by all rights and accounts they should be. Um, right, they should be able to be bringing in guys like they have been, r- r- quite frankly, guys like Mamadou Diara or Jawan Durham or even Amita Brima, and get them into um, a, a much better state two, three, four years down the road. And that's just something we were not seeing before. Um, so I think that's that's something that will definitely be really exciting to keep uh, keep tabs on is how the big men develop currently on the team, kind of like you said, but even uh, then where things go with with the uh, power forward and center position uh, in recruiting and such going forward. Another thing uh, along those lines, he's uh, from Arlington, Virginia, which is um, actually where I where I work. It's right right outside of Washington, D.C. Um, and uh, so so that'll be uh, where he has a lot of his contacts uh, on the recruiting front. So. Um, I think from that side, that, that was kind of what, what, what we thought we were going to see from them, but, uh, obviously great to be, uh, having a strong recruiting presence in the DMV, obviously. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we had talked about this earlier, um, but Hurley, obviously from the, from the start wanted to have a staff that kind of covered New England and the mid Atlantic. And you got Tom Moore who has New England area and, um, Kamani Young, he's gotten taken care of. New York, Dan Hurley himself, he can take care of New Jersey. And then the final missing piece was this, the DMV connects. And um, it's clear that Hunter has that. Um, he, he, he's, he's brought in some players to Nebraska from that area. And so if he's able to convince kids who live in that area to go all the way to Nebraska, I'm sure it'll be very easy now with the UConn brand behind him and uh, the, the region uh, aspect. It'll be much easier for him to convince kids to come there. And I think he, he even brought that up. Um, I think when he was speaking on it, he was talking about how when he wa- went to UConn, he just walked in their practice facility. You see the amount of NBA guys and all the players who have been there, there um, and, the, and the banners and how impressive that was. And so it sounds like he's really excited to start getting to work and uh, hopefully he can hit the ground running and bring on some 2018 guys, bring in some talent for 2019 and beyond as well. Yeah, so we got um, uh, two 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 guys from the Big Ten, so that's a good um, good pedigree to have there. Both guys who were there for a few years, 
And yeah, I mean, um, uh, Hunter getting kids from the DMV to come out to Nebraska. Uh, Young was getting people from the New York City area to go all the way out to Minnesota. So like you said, um, they should be able to do the same or better quality of player uh, and be able to get them to UConn, which is really exciting. Um, and then you've got the closer, Dan Hurley, uh, mm-hmm. uh, on that as well. So uh, I think, and then just to, just to say that final name, we got Tom Moore in there. Certainly don't need to sleep on him either. Um, obviously brings a lot of experience, great understanding of UConn and, and what makes it great and what uh, how great it can be. So um, I think you have to be really, really impressed with the staff that Dan Hurley has put together since taking over at UConn. Yeah, agreed. And I think um, you can kind of see that uh, the national perspective. I mean, just through Twitter, a lot of the, the guys who cover the sport were just talking about how those three hires are, it's a strong trio and there's a lot of potential um, for, for this group of coaches right now to bring in some talent for the 2018 class. I mean, there's only a few months left, but they're hard workers. Um, and I think they can really bring in some talent to kind of mesh well with the core and the returning players that we have uh, for next year. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that the, there are some names out there for 2018. Um, so, the, so there are still a few guys who, who could be in play and potentially grad transfers as well. But yeah, I mean, I think what we should be really excited about is 2019, 2020 recruiting. Um, Obviously, these guys are new to their job at UConn, but um, let's just take uh, um, let's just take Hunter and Young uh, for an example. They've been recruiting their respective areas for a different school already, mm-hmm. right? So they've already been recruiting high caliber three and four and high four star um, talent, and now they're just it's just that the um, the, the name on the scholarship offer is changing. So they still have those relationships. They still have people they've been talking to for years. Um, they're just saying now this time, okay, come to a, this, this uh, different location with actually a lot more basketball history um, and, and a strong track record for success. So, and I think, I think we'll be able to see a bunch of quick re- recruiting wins. Yeah. And I think also what's really important too, is how Dan Hurley is kind of the hot name right now and the big, the big hire where these guys are going to be able to capitalize on that and say, look, it's, it's an attractive um, position to be in, to be like, Hey, come, come to UConn, come to UConn, the place that has four national championships, the place that has sent multiple guys to the NBA uh, and, and lottery selections um, come back and restore UConn to, to where it once was and help that. And I think these guys, these are the right guys who can kind of usher in that new era and uh, bring us back. Either way, should be some exciting times at UConn going forward. I think when the season ended, it would have been hard to uh, think about that being the case. But uh, again, credit to David Benedict for uh, for getting it done. Uh, be sure to follow us at the UConn blog and at Store Central, specifically for recruiting. Uh, for Tom, this is Amon Kidwai. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>